Okay, so if you want to follow along, it's page 817 in this Bible. Settle in, it's nearly two chapters long, so just bear with me. Okay. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competence as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious had no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading, if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading. But their minds were made dull, for to this day that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transported into his likeness, transformed into his likeness, which with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but 
Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in the body, in our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, therefore, I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised Jesus the Lord raised the Lord Jesus from dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fixed our eyes not on what is seen, but what is on unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Look, let's pray as we uh, come to think about and um, apply God's word in our lives. But, um... Great, let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you that uh, you've uh, given us this passage of scripture to, uh, for our building up and for our encouragement and for our challenge. Uh, Lord, we uh, thank you for your spirit and pray that he'd be work uh, in our lives uh, this morning, uh, transforming us to be uh, more in the likeness of the glory of Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Now, I think it's a good idea not to stare at the sun with uh, your naked eyes, don't you? Because it, it tends to be a bit glary, uh, because the, the radiance of the sun, the ultraviolet lights, are, are so bright that our, our retinas just can't handle it, uh, which is a good reason for wearing caps when you're out on a sunny day, isn't it? But when you think about it, the sun is truly glorious, the sun is truly glorious. It is so powerful uh, that even it's at such a great distance that its radiance 
actually lights up our whole planet. And yet, uh, when we tend to uh, think of things which, uh, which, are, which are glorious, we tend to think about things which are less glorious than the sun. Uh, we tend to glorify the, the glories of, of humanity, um, the glories of our impressive athletic achievements, the glories of our technological advances, the glorious uh, magnificent structures uh, that we build. But how do we most clearly see the glory of God? And how do we as Christians display God's glory? Sometimes, uh, as Christians, we can be tempted to try to compete with the world uh, in the glory stakes, uh, thinking that uh, God's glory is displayed uh, in uh, the impressive uh, church buildings which we construct, or that God's uh, glory is seen uh, in the elaborate ceremonies of, uh, and rituals of some of our church services, in things which... Uh, though they seem glorious, but when we think about them, they are more like the religion of Israel than they are about the gospel. Now, uh, this is an issue for Christians today, but it was a huge issue for the, for the very first Christians, uh, where in the first century, Judaism was very glorious. Uh, the temple in Jerusalem the one that Herod built, it was, uh, it was spectacular. It was magnificent. Even the disciples of Jesus were astounded at how spectacular it was. And uh, that temple in Jerusalem was uh, considered by some to be the eighth wonder of the, of the ancient world. Uh, Judaism was glorious in its temple. Uh, it was glorious uh, in, its, uh, in its sacrificial system, in its uh, priesthood in the sacrifices and in the ceremonies which, which really come from the Old Testament law. Uh, Judaism was glorious, whereas the Christians, what did they have? What did they have? Well, they had Jesus, they had the word of God, and they had each other. That's it. And at one level, it doesn't quite seem so glorious, does it? And it was that which made the Christians vulnerable to people who taught them that they had to mix the two. That you need Jesus, sure, but you also need the glories of the law. And it's why uh, we often see in Paul's letters, don't we, that it seems like there's a bit of a tug of war going on in the churches. A tug of war uh, where on the one hand the, the false teachers are a kind of dragging Christians back into the Old Testament law and Paul is kind of trying to drag them back uh, into Christ. And this is a key issue in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth where false teachers had infiltrated the Corinthian church, uh, super apostles as Paul uh, calls them, uh, who, who glorified uh, not just in the Old Covenant but they glorified in themselves. <laughs> they thought that they were pretty impressive and they dismissed Paul as being a weak and, and unimpressive. Now, that's a bit personal, isn't it? But the real issue here is about the glory of God. 
Now, how do we see the glory of God in the Old Testament? Well, where do you start? I mean, it's, it's everywhere in the Old Testament, isn't it? There are plenty of ways that we see the glory of God in the Old Testament in, uh, well, in creation. Uh, and we see the glory of God in, uh, in his character. And we see the glory of God in his covenant with Israel. The Old Covenant was very glorious. Now, think about uh, when the Old Covenant um, uh, came into being through uh, the law, through Moses. You remember Moses? Uh, he, had to, he had to go up to the top of Mount Sinai, didn't he? And uh, up in Mount Sinai, uh, he met with God. Moses met with God on Mount Sinai and, Mo and God gave Moses the law. And that changed Moses. <laughs> and I'm talking physically. It changed him physically. In Exodus chapter 34, when Moses came back down the, the mountain where all of Israel was gathered, well, when people saw him, they, they backed off. When people saw Moses, they wanted to keep their distance. When people saw Moses, Moses they didn't want to come anywhere near him. Why? Because of his face. Because of his face. They were frightened because his face was shining. And I'm not talking about just because he was happy. No, his face was actually literally radiating light. And it was this radiating of light from the face of Moses which actually represented the glory of the old covenant of God's laws. Which the super apostles taught that the Corinthian Christians needed, needed more of because it's more glorious than just Jesus. That's the issue. And Paul says, well, really, is that a fact? Well, let's do a glory comparison, shall we? Uh, let's have a look at uh, chapter 3, verses 7 to 11, where Paul says, Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was ingrained in letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, well, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was, what was glory glorious has no glory in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So the ministry of, of the law through Moses was glorious. And we need, to, we need to think about that. Because in, 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 the, in a world which did not know God, a world full of godless idolatry, the, word, the, the law of God given at Mount Sinai was a radiant light revealing the character of God, revealing how it is that God's people should live. But like any radiant light, it also reveals the faults, doesn't it? 
and it exposed, the law of God exposed that none of us actually truly obeys God's law, that our hearts are not actually for God in the way that they should be. And so Paul says that that, that law which gave light also brought condemnation because of the guilt of our sin. So what about Moses' face? Uh, did, did Moses permanently have a glowing, radiant face for the rest of his life? Well, that would make him a little bit hard to live with, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd need to wear sunglasses or uh, whatever. Now, in Exodus chapter 34, after a while, having come down from Mount Sinai, the radiance of Moses' face faded away. Uh, just like the ministry of law would come to an end and a new ministry would begin. Um, this is why the Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, spoke of, of a new day. They spoke of a new covenant when God's laws would, would no longer be written on tablets of stone, but by his spirit would be written on hearts of flesh. And this is what the Corinthians had already experienced when they trusted in Jesus. When they heard the gospel from Paul, the Holy Spirit came into their lives and their hearts had been changed. God forgave their sin. God, says Paul, made them to be righteous, not condemned, they were forgiven of their, 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 their sins which would have condemned them and made righteous in God's sight, changed forever. And so the comparison is, well, which one is more glorious? The ministry of the law, which brings condemnation and death, or the ministry of the gospel, which by God's spirit changes lives forever? Now, this is a very long passage we're dealing with today, isn't it? Did you notice that? And we're only a few verses through in it in the sermon and uh, you might be wondering, how long is this going to go on for? Um, I sometimes think in these situations of uh, poor Eutychus. Remember Eutychus? Uh, Eutychus is the young man who in Acts chapter 20 <clears throat> was listening to Paul preach and Paul preached on and on and on and he fell asleep. Uh, Eutychus, not Paul. <laughs> Eutychus fell asleep. He didn't just fall asleep, did he? He, he fell out a window. <laughs> three stories up. And died. <clears throat> Paul raised him from the dead again. But uh, look, don't worry. <clears throat> yeah, no risk of that happening. To, because by, by spending more time on just these first few verses of, of the passage... It actually builds a foundation for what comes next and uh, the rest of this passage actually flows a lot more easily and a little bit more quickly. As Paul then draws out two therefores. Uh, the word therefore appears three times in the, what we deal with next but it's really two therefores, two implications of this comparison between the, the old covenant which brought death and the new covenant which brings life. Therefore, the first therefore 
is that the glory of the gospel in verses 12 to 18 should make us bold. Uh, Check out verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it whilst the radiance was falling away, fading away. I mean, wow. I actually had thought initially that Moses put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't be blind when they looked at him. But that's not actually the case. No. In, in, in Exodus chapter, th- chapter 34, uh, whilst Moses was speaking to Pete, the, the Israelites, he, he was unveiled. It was after... It was after he spoke with the people that he draped a veil over his face. For he didn't want people to be gazing at his face whilst the glory was fading. He didn't want them to see the glory fading. And many people still can't see that the glory of the old covenant has faded. In fact, it's gone. Uh, there are many people who, who may be very religious um, going to church week after week after week, um, participating in the rituals, trying to obey the Ten Commandments and just hoping, hoping that they'll be good enough for God. It's as if they have a veil, a veil over their faces and over their hearts. Uh, Like a man in church who uh, was exactly like that, Um, a man who had no assurance of salvation. He had no peace with God. And so I I invited him to um, meet with me and some others and to study the Bible together. And I remember the moment when we were... um, uh, we were studying through Romans chapter 5 uh, when the, the penny sort of dropped for him and he thought about it and he said, hang on a moment, are you saying, or is this saying, that uh, Jesus, by his death, has paid the penalty for my sin? And I said, yes. And he said, is this saying that because of that, that I can actually be forgiven? Of all my sin? I said, yes. And he said, and, and go to heaven forever? I said, yes. And it's all been done by Jesus? I said, yes. And he said, oh, I like that. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's great. And it was, uh, it was the, the joy that, uh, in his heart, which was the, the voice of, of experience freedom. Freedom from the guilt and the condemnation of the law and a changed life um, through the gospel. See what Paul says in verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory, 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So how is God's surpassing glory seen? It's not in the old covenant, is it? It's not in impressive buildings. It's not in religious ceremonies. It's, it's actually in people. It's in people. God's surpassing glory is seen in people who trust in Jesus and who by God's spirit are being inwardly renewed so that we, we have new lives and we start bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit, of the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and self-control. And, and, and you know what that means? It means we become more like Jesus. I recently spent some time with a man who I've known for a very long time. And uh, most of that time, uh, he has been a non-Christian. Um, he's now in his 80s and he's become a Christian. And uh, you know, well, some of us know what it's like. In, in your 80s, you, you start to feel a bit frail, don't you? And uh, the body's not working as well as it used to and you're looking a bit older and a bit chubbier and a bit balder than, uh, and you, you know it's the body's on the downhill. <laughs> on the downhill side but inwardly he was so different inwardly he was like a like a teenager that's that's growing up inwardly he was a new creation so different so changed so so joyful because of Jesus as he hobbled around on his walker <laughs> This is not a fading glory like our bodies are. This is an ever-increasing glory. So we, like Paul, can be very bold in simply telling people about Jesus and not messing around with all the other stuff, the old covenant stuff. Now, secondly, in chapter 4, the glory of the gospel means that we do not lose heart. Therefore, says Paul in chapter 4, verse 1, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now, the super apostles in Corinth, they thought they were pretty hot with their gifts, with their spiritual experiences, with their popular uncontroversial message of squeezing Jesus into the old covenant pleasing everybody except Paul who they dismissed as, as being not all that flash, not all that cool. I mean everywhere he goes he, he makes people cranky and so they, uh, they beat him up, they throw him into prison, they kick him out of town. Why? Why would you bother with someone as unimpressive as that? <laughs> as if Paul needs an image consultant. But it is by God's spirit, not by our personalities, not by our impressiveness, it is by God's spirit that the veil is lifted and lives are transformed. So um, we don't lose heart. Uh, even when uh, things are not going so well. In verses two, 2 through to 6, Paul says that because of that, I don't try to manipulate people. 
I don't try to deceive people. In fact, I repudiate that sort of stuff. I don't distort the word of God. I don't do any of that sort of stuff to get converts. And I'd have to say that it, that sort of stuff's not all that hard to do. Um, I've been to meetings where uh, they have uh, invited people to become Christians yet have not preached the gospel but have manipulated a response by a combination of sensory atmosphere and, and false promises. Whereas Paul says, I just set forth the word of truth plainly. And if people aren't converted, that's a spiritual matter. It's because in verse 4, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, has blinded them, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And this is why we pray for people. We pray that God, by his spirit, would lift that veil from their faces and from their hearts. And it's why Paul doesn't lose heart when people reject the gospel uh, as he preaches it. He, he, he grieves for them, but it, it doesn't make him go all wobbly and think, I need to change my message. I need to be more impressive somehow. No, he just proclaims Christ uh, truthfully and faithfully. Uh, nor in verses 7 to 18 does he lose heart when he suffers. Uh, let me read from verses 7 to 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Uh, Paul says that his gospel is, is it's, like a, it's like a treasure, that the gospel is like a, a really valuable treasure that someone has gone and stored in an ordinary kitchen uh, container, uh, in a jar of clay like the, the Tupperware of the uh, first century. You wouldn't do that normally, would you? You wouldn't normally do that. But he's talking about us. He's saying that we are not very impressive, that, that, that we don't attract, there's nothing attractive about us necessarily, that we are jars of clay, we are ordinary people, which means that when people respond to the gospel, it's not because they're impressed by us. Thankfully, because there's not very much which is impressive about us. No, they respond to the gospel because God is powerful. God is, and all the glory goes to him. Now, I, I drive a, a car, which is <clears throat> probably past its glory days. It's a 21-year-old <clears throat> Toyota Camry, and... Uh, I love it. It's great. It is so smooth, so quiet, and it's never broken down. <laughs> it's great. 
And it's so old, look, <clears throat> when there's a hailstorm that starts up and the cars outside, I just think, no worries, <laughs> not a problem. Someone goes and dents it, mm, she'll be right, I don't care. I, I'm not precious about this car. And Paul is not precious even about his own life. <laughs> the super apostles, they, they used Paul's sufferings against him. But Paul is prepared to get battered and bruised in ministry so that others might hear about the Saviour who died so that they might live. What kind of glory do non-Christians need to see in us? That we are more successful in the ways of the world than they are and that they can become more like us in that respect? Is that what they need to see? Like some of the cool, hip and wealthy super apostles in today's churches and those who follow them? Or do they need to see people who by their life and character reflect the glorious likeness of Christ and who are prepared to give up worldly ambitions, worldly glories, even to suffer so that others might hear the gospel clearly. Now, in the first century, <clears throat> that meant not going backwards to the old covenant, not, not mixing Jesus into the old covenant of law, which brought condemnation and has faded away like the face of Moses, but it also means not moving forwards, not, move, mo not moving to any new gospel which highlights the fading glories of this world at the expense of the eternal glory, which Paul says in verse 17, far outweighs them all. Now, sometimes on uh, days that are not quite the same weather as we've got today, uh, we talk about a glorious sunny day, don't we? <laughs> and we love it, especially on the weekends. Because of the glory of the sun, which in verse 6, Paul reminds us that God, who in Genesis chapter 1 said, let light shine out of darkness, and it happened, this same God has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, not, not in the things of this world, not in the face of Moses, but in the face of Christ, which is glory that never fades. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. <clears throat> we thank you for this new covenant uh, where uh, because of Christ's death and resurrection that we can be forgiven uh, Father, that because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, that uh, your law, your will, your, uh, is now written uh, on, our, on our hearts, on hearts that have, you have made fleshly, not hardened, but fleshly. 
Father, we pray that we would uh, so treasure the gospel and so treasure what you've done for us and what you will continue to do for us, that we would seek to be those who, uh, who continue to grow in the likeness of Christ, that we would reveal his glory through our lives, that others too uh, might have the veil lifted from their, their hearts and their minds and come to see Jesus as he truly is, glorious in all that he's done for us. Amen. <clears throat>